All right, well, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14. We've graduated to chapter 14. So at this rate, uh, if I live to be 90, we might get through the book of Proverbs before I go to my reward. So we're just going to look at Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 1 tonight. A wise woman, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this text. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless the word of God to us tonight. We pray that all the women would profit from this. But all of the uh, unmarried women, the married women, uh, the men, the husbands, the single men, all of us would... Uh, Profit from the Word of God tonight. Uh, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now the ESV renders this verse, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. The NIV has, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears it down. Uh, now, uh, uh, house here, of course, is uh, uh, in this setting it means household. I'm sure you all know that. It isn't referring to the physical dwelling, but to her family. Uh, so our first observation is that uh, the wife has a significant role in the household, either for its good or for its ruin. We see that from this verse. Uh, success in, in a venture is almost always a team effort. Uh, whether it be a business, a church, a family, or anything else, there needs to be a team effort. Uh, when parties are working against one another, as our Lord said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And we know that Abraham Lincoln used that text before the Civil War, uh, somewhat uh, prescient of the Civil War, though he always uh, hoped it wouldn't come to that, but of course it did. And uh, And we've seen over and over again, Whenever a church leadership is divided against itself, that church is likely to have a horrible split. We've seen that in churches, even Reformed Baptist churches. Maybe I should say especially Reformed Baptist churches. Whereas when the leadership stays united, though the church might be damaged and go through real tribulation, it will almost always stand. And don't we see it also in families? When a husband and wife are diligently working to raise their children for Christ, and they're seriously serious-minded about following the Lord Jesus Christ, how often this results in a solid and a strong household. But when there's division, one working against the other, or even one working to build a godly household and the other just unconcerned or aloof, the outcome is seldom good. So uh, uh, the other observation I would mention is that no man, no matter how strong his leadership abilities are, can succeed in, with his household if his wife is working against him. Now let's quote George Lawson here. He says, this verse directs men in the choice of wives. A woman may be rich and beautiful and yet prove a plague to her husband and her family. For nothing is more necessary to ruin a house than a bad wife. But a wise and virtuous woman is a, is a rich portion to her husband, though she brings nothing with her. 
The fact is that a good and virtuous wife is of so much more value to her husband than all the wealth in the world that there really is no comparison. As Proverbs 31.10 says, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. It says far above rubies. Um, earthly wealth can be gotten by wicked men in many ways, but it doesn't enrich their lives. Indeed, I'm sure you've seen this, men that you, you know of that have been very wealthy and lived very, very miserable lives. Uh, but, uh, uh, but the poorest, the poorest uh, people that have a happy marriage and a happy home uh, are wealthy. We've talked about this before. But a virtuous, wise woman will bring a man vast wealth that cannot be measured. We learned when we studied Proverbs 12.4, which is a, a similar verse. Proverbs 12.4 says, uh, uh, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. And I don't know if you remember that lesson because it was over a year ago. And so, uh, 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 but, but when we studied that, we, we saw that when it says virtuous woman, uh, it, 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 it literally means there and in Proverbs 31.10, it means wife of valor is what it means literally. And uh, uh, this denotes all forms of excellence. And, and what I want to do tonight then is to repeat some of those things that I said in that lesson. That's like I say, now well over a year, ago, year old. I think it was, I did that lesson in September or October of 2022. And I'll, so I'll repeat some of those things. And I believe, because I believe these things are worth repeating. And, and, you know, for those that have heard them and those that weren't here then and didn't hear them, you get to hear them for the first time. So some, some of this repetition, it's, it's on purpose. Uh, in the Old Testament, certain men were referred to as mighty men of valor. And, you, you know, it's a common Old Testament term. Gideon was such a man. Uh, and he wasn't given that title because he was physically strong or exceptionally courageous. You read his his story, and and you and you and you can sure you can sure see that he's very timid. And and uh, but Gideon put his life in danger, and he confronted the enemy simply because God gave him a commission to do it. And you know the story, of course, that uh, with 300 men he defeated a very vast army of the Midianites. Um, and uh, uh, Gideon was considered by God as a mighty man of valor because he would do anything as long as he was assured that God was with him. And, uh, and, and, and we saw that he even had to, he used the thing with the fleeces, remember? He just wanted to make, he just wanted to make sure God was with him. Now, just in case, uh, tonight, may there be dew on the fleece and not on the ground. And, uh, and, uh, and it was that way. And he said, well, next night, well, just to make real sure, make the dew be on the ground and not on the fleece. And so you, you read that, it's almost humorous, isn't it? I mean, the guy is really, really uh, uh, concerned. But once he was fully assured that God was truly giving him the commission, he, he went ahead and did it, even though he was a timid person. I think that's important to understand. That's what made him a mighty man of valor. He's willing to do the will of God. He was committed to it. And, uh, and that's what a true woman, uh, virtuous woman is as well, a woman of valor. Uh, but um, but uh, uh, what does a woman have to overcome in order to build her house for God? Well, for one, she has to ignore the jeers and the persecution of the world, especially nowadays. 
Never in the history of the world has there been such ridicule, persecution, and slander of good women. A woman nowadays that chooses to be a helper that's suitable for her husband, that stands behind her husband, that supports him with all her abilities, unashamedly, instead of being honored by the world, uh, she's either reviled and spoken against, or she's despised and not spoken of at all. She's not considered worthy of consideration of any of the world's honors. And we know that's true in our day, isn't it? They'll honor a woman of business uh, or any woman who succeeded in her quest for fame and fortune. But a woman tending her children at home and taking care of her household is despised and even spoken against nowadays. But the truth is, there's no force in the world that's better suited or, more command, or in a more commanding position for the good of society than the faithful mother at home. Now, I want to qualify this. Of course, everything I say here, I don't want to say that she cannot work outside of the home, and I will mention more about that later. <clears throat> and I want to give this quote that I've quoted before, and, and pardon its length, it's from Robert Louis Dabney, the 18th century or the 19th century, uh, uh, Robert Louis Dabney, you know of, uh, uh, speaking of the role of mothers. I notice, I want you to notice while he's giving this, and this is a lengthy quote, but while he's giving this, uh, addressing this matter of the ambition of women, even back then, to hold office in the church, but how he elevates the role of a godly wife at home here is remarkable in this quote, and I, and I couldn't say it better, and that's why I want to quote Dadney here in, on this. Now, but again, I want to qualify this. As, as I read this long quote, I don't want the single women uh, to think that in order to be used of God, uh, you need to be married and you need to have children, uh, or that you cannot be a virtuous woman without getting married. So uh, that would go completely against Scripture and everything that Paul said, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He made it very clear that a single state is superior to a married state. But the fact is that the vast majority of people do marry, and so this fact does make the single woman, uh, 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 sometimes she feels a little odd not being married, but uh, it doesn't make her one bit less honorable. So as I read this, I don't want the single girls to feel in any way as though somehow they're missing out because they're not married, all right? The point of the quote is to give the right perspective to those women that are married with children, that they might be uh, encouraged in that calling, and that, and that it is a very high calling and an important calling not to be despised as it is these days. And it evidently, to some extent, it was despised even then back when this was written back in the, in the middle of the 19th century. So let me then quote Dabney here, and I quote, God has assigned to her, that is the married woman with children, a private sphere sufficiently important and honorable to justify the whole expenditure of angelic endowments, the formation of the character of children. This is the noblest and most momentous work done on earth. Add to this the duties of the daughter, sister, wife, and charitable work and the labors of all duties suitable for women, and we see a field wide enough for the highest talents and the most sanctified ambitions. Dost thou somehow still feel that the sphere of the pulpit order is more splendid still? Wherein is it more splendid? Only in that it has features which gratify carnal ambitions 
and the lust for the carnal applause of men. But let it be noted that Christians are forbidden to have these carnal, sinful desires. Then let the Christian comply with God's law requiring him to crucify ambition and the only features which made any difference between the private and public spheres of soul culture are gone. The Christian who in the performance of the public work of rearing souls for heaven fosters the ambitious motive has deformed his worthiness in the task with a defilement which sinks it far below that of the humblest peasant mother who is training her child for God. Does the objector return to the charge that while a faithful mother rears six or twice six children for God, you can tell when this was written, the gifted evangelist or pastor may convert thousands, but that man would not have been the gifted evangelist had he not enjoyed the blessing of the modest Christian mother's training. Had he been reared in the disorderly home of the clerical Mrs. Jellybee, instead of being the spiritual father of thousands, he would have been an ignorant rowdy or a disgusting Pharisee. So the worthiness of his public success belongs fully as much to the modest mother as to himself. Again, the instrumentality of the mother's training in the salvation of her children is mighty and decisive. The influence of the minister over his hundreds is slight and non-essential. If he contributes a few grains in numerous cases to turn the scales for heaven, the mother contributes tons to the right scales of her few cases. The one works more widely on the surface, the other more deeply, so that the real amount of soil moved by the two workmen is not usually in favor of the preacher. The woman of sanctified ambition has nothing to regret as to the dignity of her sphere. She does the noblest work that is done on earth. Its public recognition is usually more to the children and beneficiaries she enables than to her own person. And that's precisely the feature of her work which makes it most Christ-like. And it is precisely the feature at which a sinful and selfish ambition takes offense. Isn't that a great quote? And I agree with Dabney 100%. I love his point that a woman raising her children for God can reach them far more deeply and more effectively than a minister trying to preach to them uh, in a congregation, trying to minister to them from his pulpit. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, a, a mother's work. I mean, I, I've, I've seen it happen in the sphere of my ministry. I'm sure Gordon has too, and that is that you have you have a godly family raising their children, and they're and and the mother is diligent and a good example to them, and and she's there taking care of them while the husband's not there. I was an absentee father for much of my children when they were small. I was working either two jobs or. When I started NAFCA, I was working a lot of 16-hour days and everything. My mother, my poor wife was like a widow, but she was a godly mother to her children. And uh, But I've seen families like this where they have a godly mother raising the ch children, and I've seen much, uh, much good uh, come in those families. And I've seen other families that were not that way, and... Uh, and the minister was not able to get them converted. They were in church all right because they had to be. They were here against their will, and it didn't do them any good. 
maybe in the long run God will use the seed that was sown in them. I'm not saying that He won't. There are, you know, God's God's grace is at work always. But I've seen it personally. Now I'm sure that you picked up on how countercultural Dabney's remarks are, you know, in our culture today. They were they were counterculture in his day, though, as well to some extent, but not nearly as much as they are now. Such a viewpoint now in our day would be met with the most uh, you know, vitriolic of expressions. And such a woman as he's holding up for praise in this quote uh, nowadays is despised and minimalized. And, and you know that to be the case. So the rebellion of our society against God can clearly be seen in many, many things. It can be seen in the breakdown of morality and in the open promiscuousness of both men and women. It can be seen in the fact of legalized abortion. It can be in, seen in the, in the disrespect of children for their parents and for other and for all adults and in, and in many other ways. But it's also seen in the rebellion of women against their role in the home. And if you think about it, it seems that this problem has preceded those others that we've just mentioned. Now, I'm not saying that's the cause of the others. I think the failure of fathers is a bigger factor but it hasn't helped them either. Now, there are many complicating matters that contribute to society's woes, but women out of place and not fulfilling their God-given roles is a contributing factor, I believe, in our society. Now, America's youth then are, as you know, and I'm not telling you things that you don't know, America's youth are more aimless and hopeless and confused as ever. You know that. They're falling victim to this world's evil philosophies, which only cause more confusion, more unrest, more sorrow, uh, more drug abuse, more suicide, and all these other things that are affecting them. Um, and um, so where, where do you find relief? Who can come to the aid of our society? Uh, who's going to rescue our youth? Let's get a good youth minister. Maybe he can do it. No, the Lord has already given us aid already. He's done so with these few, by comparison, women of valor. The woman, the woman of valor, she comes and holds up her husband with her right hand and her children with her left. She strengthens not only her home, but the church too, as we see this even in our own church. And we have an example of that and what's happening right here elsewhere in this very building. Um, uh, we, we see it in, in the women's prayer groups who are who are much more diligent, by the way, than us men in getting together to pray uh, together. So here we have her praise in this verse from God. He calls her wise. The wise woman builds her house. And this word justifies her more than all the accolades the world ever could give in the first place. Uh, God says a wise woman builds her house. And of course, how she builds her house is laid out for us in the rest of the Bible. Proverbs 31 gives a good overview of many of the typical activities of such a wise woman. And by the way, these activities include much more than the rearing of children. Uh, some of them are also outside of the home. And so the Bible does not forbid her working outside of the home. And it actually commends it, of course, with the obvious provision that it doesn't eclipse her attention to her domestic responsibilities. She watches over the way of her household, it says in 31, Proverbs 31:27, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, this watching over her household denotes a management role. 
A woman is not to be treated as a slave or a domestic servant or an employee, but as a fellow laborer with her husband. I think it's a very important point. Uh, there are in Christian circles a, a lot of Christian cultures around that are that, that that have this attitude towards women, and they're basically treated like a domestic servant. But they should be a fellow laborer with her husband, and a wise husband will let her do her job of managing the household. And of course, this is done under her supervision, with his consent, um, but also with his blessing, and I might add, with his help as well. And especially if she does have to work outside the home, it's a shame for a man to treat his wife like a servant or to make your wife pick up after you. I don't have, so hope I'm talking to any men and make your wife pick up after you. If you if you do, then you know you need to repent. It's wrong. Uh, she's not there to pick up after you. She might do it. But you shouldn't have to. You should be loving her as Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself for her. And so any man that makes his wife act like she, you know, and, and treats her like she's some kind of a servant to him is not treating her like Christ loved the church. What did Christ say? Even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So any godly man uh, that's treating his wife biblically as you look at their home, you'll see a man that's, if anybody's serving anybody, it's the man serving the wife uh, more than the wife serving the, the woman, the, the man. Um, and so, and so uh, our text says that a wise woman builds her house. This tells us that she's active and purposeful in watching over her household. In other words, she's not idle or lazy. She's, you know, building is working. Building takes skill. Building takes diligence. And then it calls it, by the way, it calls it her house. She should look at what she does as working on her own house. These are her children. This is her husband. She takes a ready and willing ownership of all she does because, after all, it's her house that she's building. So she wants it to stand. So since she's already been called wise by God himself, we can assume that she also pays attention to the foundation any house that stands, we know, needs to be built on a solid foundation. Even as Jesus said, the wise man built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it didn't fall, for it was founded on a rock, right? On a good foundation. Well, what makes this um, man wise in the illustration of Christ is that he hears these sayings of mine and does them. You see, that's what makes the man wise. He hears the sayings of Christ and he does them. And this is also true of the wise woman. He, she, who, when she builds her house, she's doing her work. She's ordering her affairs in accordance with the principles of the word of God. When she does this, she's building on a solid foundation that will withstand the storms of life. But then the rest of the proverb says, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Now, you wouldn't think that anybody would want to do something like that, would you? I mean, you know, certainly uh, no woman wants the destruction of her home. But it's also true that no one wants to destroy himself or herself either. And yet people do those things that can't help but destroy themselves, right? You see it all the time. The drunkard, the drug abuser, the violent man, the immoral person, 
examples of people live, doing things and living lifestyles that are obviously self-destructive are common, aren't they? It's not that they really want to destroy themselves, is it? I mean, if you ask my employee that died of a drug overdose last year, uh, if, if you'd asked her that day before she went to this party, if you said, uh, now, is, are you seeking? Are you going out to, to try to, do you want to die of a drug overdose tonight? She would have said, absolutely not. But nevertheless, she did. She went out. She went to some party she shouldn't have gone to. She, uh, she, took, she took some drugs and she died of an overdose that night. Uh, she didn't want to. She didn't want to die. But she did it even knowing the risks, even knowing that people that partake of those kind of drugs are dying like flies all around the country, yet she still took it and she died, and people are doing that all the time. So don't tell me that people don't engage in self-destructive behavior, not intending to destroy themselves, and yet knowing full well that they very well could, and of course they do. So how does this work? that a woman would be so foolish as to pull down or destroy her own house with her hands. Uh, well, I want to consider some qualities of a good woman and deduce what the opposite would be. And I want to draw some of these from Proverbs 31, most of them from Proverbs 31. Um, you don't need to turn there, but I'll just quote certain portions of it and comment on them. In Proverbs 31, verse 11, it says, The heart of her husband safely trusts in her. Well, now, that would mean he safely trusts in her morally as to the keeping of her marriage vows, but also in every other area. She's also trustworthy with the finances. You know, I've been so thankful. I've never had to worry about my wife wasting money. My wife is very careful with my money, and she's very faithful with it. I can trust my wife with anything. Um, what a blessing it is to be able to trust your spouse and to be to safely trust in her. And I pity the man who has a wife that he can't trust. An unfaithful wife destroys her home. And this is also true, of course, of the unfaithful husband. I realize that. But we're talking about women right now. And this verse gives me license to do so. And uh, verse, verse 13 of Proverbs 31 then says, She willingly works with her hands. A lazy and an idle woman destroys her house through neglect. And we've known people that have done this. Uh, and, you know, you read, you know just, let me just read this section in Proverbs 24 about the lazy man. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 says, I went to the field of the lazy man by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, this, of course, is talking about a lazy man. You go by his house and you, you can tell that he's lazy. He doesn't take care of his property. Uh, and, and this is how things would appear in an agrarian uh, culture in, in the setting in which these, uh, uh, these uh, Bible passages are written. But the same thing is true also, though, of a lazy woman. Only it wouldn't be so apparent as to this overgrown field. A virtuous and a, and a hardworking woman with a bunch of children might actually have a house that doesn't look always perfectly tidy. And I think that's important to note. But look at the conduct of her children. 
Is she instructing them in the in good things? I remember when I'll give you an illustration out of our own life. I remember uh, when Karen, uh, my oldest daughter, was going to. Uh, she was just like six years old. I'm sure it was six. Uh, I don't think it was seven. I'm sure it was six. She's very young. I guess six years old. She's probably in. Maybe it was kindergarten at six years old. Is that right? Six-year-olds, kindergarten, first grade? Is that first grade? Probably first grade? Yeah, maybe it was first grade. But I don't know. She was very, very, and she was in a private school, and they had uh, one of these uh, uh, talent things where you, uh, you, you you make something and you put it on display and you have to write, you know, they, you make a poster about something or, or whatever. Well, Karen made a loaf of bread, and and Lori taught her how to make a loaf of bread when she was just six years old. Can you believe this? You know, it's hard to make bread. I couldn't make a loaf of bread. Uh, I make pies, but I always make my wife do the crust, you know, because I can't even hardly do a crust. But so, but anyway, she taught her how to make a loaf of bread, and, and she really did teach her to do it. Karen made the whole thing, and Karen was not given the credit for it. She, she, they would not. On, uh, so they would not recognize her contribution because they said, well, your mother did this for you. And that was not true. I know Lori helped her do that, and it was a great accomplishment. But let me tell you, if I walked into the kitchen at the time she was teaching her how to make that bread, you'd look at that kitchen and you'd say, wow, what a mess, you know. So a messy house doesn't mean that the woman's lazy, especially if she's got a whole bunch of kids. Actually, if she's got one kid, I mean, you know. But, and so I'm not saying just because a woman's got a messy house that she's lazy. That's not true at all. She might be, uh, she might be very diligent, but she's busy doing things with her kids. Um, and by contrast, I can tell you names, which if, if I were a mean person, I, I would do so. It would be in poor taste and I wouldn't do it. But I can tell you of a woman who was, uh, that I knew very, very well that had the tidiest house you ever wanted to see. You walk in there any time, and that house was, I mean, spotless. And she was a wicked, wretched, rebellious wife. And she ended up tearing her household apart. And every one of her children are retro- reprobates to this day. And one of them's even dead. She was rebellious. She was a bad example to her children. She had a tidy house. But she didn't. She did not raise her children for Christ. Now I'm skipping a lot here. It says also she rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household. We see a picture then of faithfulness and hard work. Verse 20 it says she extends her hand to the poor. Uh, yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. So a virtuous woman has a charitable and a generous and a compassionate heart. And when we're generous to the poor, God takes note of it, and he promises a blessing on us. In fact, in Psalm 41.1, it says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. So a generous-hearted woman brings God's blessing on her household, while a stingy and greedy woman causes God to withhold the blessing. Now, here's a big one. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. A virtuous woman is a kind-hearted woman. A hard-hearted woman is a curse to her husband and to her children. A woman's sharp tongue will drive her husband away. I knew a man who was a workaholic, and I know very well, we never talked about it, 
But I know very well that he was a workaholic because his wife was such a sharp-tongued woman, he would go home and get a tongue lashing every night, so it was so nice for him to just stay at work. And, um, and she drove him away. Proverbs 27.15 says, A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Proverbs 21.9, Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than on a house shared with a contentious woman. Now listen, we can turn those things around, guys. You know, it's just as hard for a woman to live in a house with a contentious man. So I'm not, this is not picking on women here, okay? But those kind of qualities in a person drive their spouse away. Um, uh, uh, now, what, what was the result of those foolish women? And I've known several that I've known that have pulled down their houses. What did it look like? And keep in mind, I'm talking about women that professed Christ. Well, reprobate children. Um, most of the children of these women, almost all, are still lost and seemingly far from Christ. Uh, secondly, divorce. Uh, at some point, they will likely either divorce their husband or they'll drive their husband to it. And of course, apostasy. Uh, most of these women that I have known have left the faith, proving that they had the wrong foundation to begin with. They destroyed their own houses. They pulled down their own houses through their own wickedness and great was the fall thereof. And I might say they didn't strengthen the church any while they were doing it either. So it's good for it's a good thing for a woman to strive to be known as a virtuous woman in in the, all the ways that God defines what a virtuous woman is. In fact, that's been my wife's ambition ever since I first married her. We we'd read Proverbs 31, she says, that's the woman I want to be. And she's striven for that all her life. And all of her children would say, amen, as she has done it. And her husband would rise up also and call her blessed. But uh, I want to say something uh, for the husbands of these women. If you have one of these virtuous women, uh, first of all, be thankful. Don't take her for granted. And tell her so. Tell her you appreciate her. And also be supportive. Again, as Christ loved the church, a virtuous woman needs the support of husband. And you be supportive of her and you help her and don't, uh, don't make her do all the work. You don't think you're above doing housework. Um, I think we live in a day where men understand that better than they did back, you know, a generation ago. You never catch my dad ever washing dishes or anything like that. But, uh, but remember that you know we need to we need to be supportive of our wives. Uh, for the young men, I would say this: uh, <clears throat> uh, that is, uh, uh, look for this kind of a wife, the kind of a wife that we've described here tonight. Pray for this kind of a wife. Uh, you know, ask God for this kind of a wife, and uh, and uh, and look for this kind of a wife. But now, another thing I would say as a as a qualification to that is that. If you're a young man looking for a wife, don't expect a young Christian woman to have all those good qualities in their full bloom, such as we see it in some of our older women in the church. Uh, but the question you should ask is, does she have the basic qualities in her budding character and is she striving to grow in grace? That's very important. Is she striving to grow in grace? Does she want to be the virtuous woman? Is she, is she truly desirous of that? 
And um, and so don't expect uh, you got to let young people be young people. But at the same time, is the is the root of the matter there? You know. Proverbs thirty one thirty says, "Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised." And I think that's good advice for young men as well. We're always attracted to the beauty of a woman, but let's be attracted more to the inner qualities of the woman. And um, I don't think God requires you to marry a woman you find physically revolting. <laughs> I don't mean that. But, uh, but understand that the inward qualities are far more important than the outer ones. Now, for young women, I would say this, and that is to seek to be this virtuous woman while you're still single. And look also for similar qualities that we've talked about tonight in any man that you might choose. Um, and, uh, and, and, and this too, if you're single, uh, keep in mind this way. If it's God's will for you to be married, then uh, you know it's God's responsibility to bring uh, someone into your life that meets the qualifications. Now, of course, I'm not saying to sequester yourself and isolate yourself in such a way that there's no way you could ever meet someone. I don't mean that. You shouldn't do that. You should allow yourself to be out where you can meet people. But at the same time, if you don't meet a person that's qualified, then don't think, don't feel like you're pressured into getting married. Don't feel like the Christian community is looking down on you if you don't get married. There's nothing wrong with the single state. In fact, Paul praises it. He says, I would prefer if you stayed single. So it's all right if you stay single. Don't feel like you're a second-class citizen. And remember, don't lower your standards in order to be married. That is not a good thing to do. You will regret that. So these are just some uh, um, practical things. But I wanted to mention, what is the common factor in a truly virtuous woman or a truly virtuous man? What is the common factor? It is Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ in their character. It is Christ in their, in their um, uh, priorities. It is Christ in them that makes them this virtuous man or this virtuous woman. And... Uh, and uh, when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit goes to work on us. And this is God's goal for us. God wants every man here to be a virtuous man. And he wants every woman to be a virtuous woman. And the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and helps us to get there. And so if you're not in Christ right now and you're, you look at the standard of the virtuous woman or virtuous man and you think, oh, I could never be like that. Well, don't say you could never be like that. All things are possible through Christ. Go to God and say, Lord, I, I don't know how I could ever be like that, but I know you could make me like that if you wanted to. So uh, I'm surrendering my life to you, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to teach me today how to live like a Christian and, uh, and, I, and, 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 and receive Christ as your Savior and see what God will do. And I know that was very helpful to me when the evangelist uh, talked to me about, uh, about being a Christian, and, and I was concerned that I could never live up to that standard. And and he said, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's what he does. He comes into your life and he changes you from the inside out and helps you to learn to live like a Christian. And so uh, I know my wife, I've praised her a lot here tonight, but said, you know, I know my wife would say to you that, you know, this was always her desire to be 
of this virtuous woman. That's a great example to others. But she knew she had a long ways to go, and and she knew she had to she had to have a lot of work done on her by the Holy Spirit. And and over the years, we've been married now, well, 50 years. Well, it'll be 50 years Friday. If I live two more days, I'll be been married 50 years. But for 50 years, God's been working on her to make her into what she is and working on me too, hopefully. And uh, we have to let the Holy Spirit work in us. And we have to be active. We have to be diligent and apply the means of grace and all those things. But we need God to, to make us into these things. As Christ is formed in us and the image of Christ is formed in us, then we will be more and more like this virtuous woman described in the Bible. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and all that you do for sinners. Thank you so much that you take a a dirty, rotten sinner and you clean him up and you make him into a virtuous man or a virtuous woman. And you do these things for your own glory and for our good. You are a merciful God. And so we pray, Lord, you'd help us all to have these goals. And we know that many... Here, as I, as I think about the congregation here, I think of many virtuous men and virtuous women among us. And I thank you for that. But Lord, may we, uh, may we uh, uh, strive to be even more so and to be more like Christ. If there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that tonight uh, you would put in them a hunger to desire these things and that you would indeed save them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.